Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Dunzo. This is a podcast that explores hookups and breakups of famous lovers and friends, both real and fake, and all the discarded pop culture of yesteryear. I'm your host, Troy McKeady. You guys, welcome to episode 173 of Dunzo. It is me, Troy McKeady, and I'm, first of all, I've I've had to stop and re-record this opening like four times because I'm just too excited. You know what I mean? I'm giving off manic energy. I was actually like screaming at you a couple minutes ago, but you'll never hear that. I've calmed down. I had a, a bottle of water. I'm just too excited. That's the problem. Usually when I finish my notes for an episode, I close my computer and I'll go do something else. I'll like watch Survivor or like have a cigarette or something. But this week, I the notes were just so good and the, the content is just so good this week. Like you're really in for a treat. This is like, first of all, we're picking back up with Christina. I'm back on my Christina shit. It feels good to be home. Christina is a safe space for me right now. I never thought I'd be saying that, but she really is. And if you've been following along, you know this week it's time. We are talking this week about Bionic. Yes, we're talking about her art pop. And of course, I came out of it loving the album, loving the whole thing. The The drama surrounding this album is just so insane. Um, we're going to be talking about her feud with Lady Gaga today. We're going to be talk a lot about that. We're going to be talking about uh, Perez Hilton's involvement. It's a, a really, really big day here at Dunzo, uh, Dunzo Podcast. So you picked a good day to join me. I want to honestly dive right the fuck into it. I'm going to pop a cough drop in my mouth and go ham. So where we left off in our Christina saga, she had just released Back to Basics, which was obviously major, and it was a huge accomplishment for her as an artist She toured the album, which became the highest grossing solo female tour of the year. She was ranked as one of the most successful artists of the 2000s. She was riding this really incredible wave of back-to-back successes, and she had finally gotten the thing that she had wanted her entire life, which was to be viewed as a real artist. Christina also released a greatest hits album called Keeps Getting Better, And for some reason, I have really vivid memories of the release of this album because I remember it being sold exclusively through Target. And I remember going to Target and seeing a lot of Christina Aguilera like imagery everywhere. Um, The music video is a real abuse of green screen. Like it's a real abuse of technologies, as I like to say. She's doing all of this like minority report shit and like summoning different versions of herself by pressing buttons on a recording studio thing like it's it's a mess and it's it's very much worth a youtube search if you're bored and feel like watching something through your fingers out of embarrassment we also need to discuss the fact that christina aguilera announced her pregnancy at the end of 2007 
And I actually want to start with this because it actually, it's unexpectedly kind of funny. This is a People Magazine quote from November of 2007. It says, Christina Aguilera has now formally confirmed the already widely reported observation that she is expecting a baby. In September, it was Paris Hilton who first publicly addressed the news about Aguilera's entering mommyhood. While introducing the singer at a Las Vegas nightclub event, announced the hotel heiress, Congratulations to the most beautiful pregnant woman in the world. She also did a pregnancy photo shoot with Marie Claire. And in the interview, she said, We were planning on starting to try after the tour. And so I had gone off the pill to prepare my body because I didn't know how much time I would need to take. She told the magazine, which hit stands on December 11th, We heard that it would take some time, except with Power Egg and Super Sperm over here. I'm like, oh my God, can you believe this just happened? I was really paranoid, she said. There were so many things that could go wrong. Somebody could slip, somebody could fall, I could fall. There was no way in hell I was going to jeopardize my baby for a show. She wore a well-concealed heart monitor, but didn't want to announce while she was still on the Back to Basics tour. I didn't want to make the audience uncomfortable, like pregnant lady on stage. Is she okay? She said. But I had announced it to my band and my dancers because I wanted to make sure that they had my back and that everything was going to be okay. As her baby bump grew, the public and the media continued to speculate about her pregnancy. It was finally confirmed when Paris Hilton announced that Aguilera was with child at a party for the VMAs, but Aguilera said she wasn't angry at Hilton at all. Because I hadn't said anything, people thought I was trying to keep it a big secret, and that's not the case at all, she said. I just wasn't commenting. I'm not being like, hey everybody look, I'm pregnant. I'm just not that girl. Then in January of 2008, it was announced that she had given birth to a baby boy named Max. She announced it on her website and she said, Dear fans, today is a very joyful and special day for Jordan and I as we welcome our first son into the world. In honor of our love for each other and our growing family, I have put together a special video for the song Save Me From Myself off my Back to Basics album. This video is very dear to me as it includes actual footage from our personal wedding video. Just a little something to say thank you for your undying love and support. It is in no small part because of you that I live such a blessed and wonderful life. Please download and enjoy. With love, Christina. Okay, now before we get into this, I'm just going to let you know that this entire episode is basically devoted to to Bionic. Because there's so much pop culture surrounding this album. There's so much drama and just theatrics and carrying on (laughs) surrounding this album That it does kind of take up the entire episode. We're also, by the way, going to end the episode by talking about burlesque because I am a homosexual and uh, yeah, so let's do it. And as I said before, I am very, very excited to get into Bionic because as I said before, it is the most controversial album of her discography and I think most Christina fans would refer to this as her art pop, which obviously intrigues me. And from what I gather, this is an album that people look back on with the same sort of reverence that they have for Blackout as this innovative, ahead of its time masterpiece that took 10 years to understand. So let's really peel back every single page of this messy, messy chapter. Speaking of Gaga, by the way, it's important to note before we get into any of this that around this time, well, around the time of Christina recording this album, Lady Gaga had just burst onto the scene and there were immediate comparisons between them because they were both blonde pop stars. And we've talked about this before, but I think the debut of Lady Gaga as an artist is such an interesting chapter in pop culture because not only did she kind of signify like a new, like a definitive, this is a new era of pop music. 
she also became a new kind of girl to compare the other girls to. And I think in many ways, Lady Gaga signifies the end of the Britney Spears era of female pop music. And that's not to say Britney didn't continue releasing great, like, albums and pieces of work after Blackout. But I think the need for the industry to keep churning out Britney Spears copycats had kind of come to an end with the introduction of Gaga. We had entered this new chapter where dance music had become more prominent and the girls were allowed to sort of let their freak flags fly all of a sudden, like much more than they had in the last 10 years. And I think Gaga freed a lot of the girls, but I also think she sent the girls spiraling. You know what I mean? Because there was this immediate demand for like more unconventional themes in their music and their look and their stage performances and their videos. It was a lot of pressure to all of a sudden be more, for lack of better term, to be more weird. The demand for more high concept pop music skyrocketed when we were introduced to Gaga. And I definitely think Gaga had her own version of the Madonna effect, not really so much in the form of reinvention, but more along the lines of like, like I said, how can I be more weird? How can I be more artistic? Like, how can I be more not cookie cutter? And those comparisons had a major impact on the way that this album was perceived by the media, by the general public. I mean, the Gaga effect on Bionic is so, I mean, it's just so. Let's circle back to the album itself and do some housekeeping and then we'll talk about all the drama and the tweets and the shade and all of the shit. By this particular time, Christina Aguilera was at a point in her career where When it came to releasing music, she could basically do whatever the fuck she wanted to do. She fought RCA tooth and nail for Stripped, and it ended up being this massive success. She went against the label's demands and released Back to Basics as a double disc. And, I mean, obviously it did really well and became her most critically acclaimed album. She had found herself in this undeniable position of power because... I guess just because of the way that she had proven herself. Like, she really fought tooth and nail and Uma Thurman her way through all of the criticism and the comparisons and the judgments about her personality and her body and all the things. And she really had found herself in this place of being able to tell her record label what they were going to be doing next. Like, she was basically running RCA at this point. In typical Christina Aguilera fashion, she sent letters to the producers she wanted to work with that said, I'm a really big fan of yours and I'm interested in stepping into your world and what you do. I want to combine that with my sound and let's see what happens. I feel like I can do so much with my voice and I would be so bored sitting on a stool singing ballad night after night just because I can. And it's really interesting reading about where Christina Aguilera's head was during the recording of this album because selfishly, it made me realize what a missed opportunity it was for me. Because she talks about being very like, You know, she's super into this, like, electronic sound. She's in, like, a futuristic headspace. And she's most inspired by bands like La Tigre and Lady Tron. Apparently, La Tigre is one of Christina's favorite bands of all time. And they said in an interview that when they met her, they were blown away by, like, the deep knowledge that she had of their music and their origin story. And she had all their albums. And, like, you know, like I said, Christina is a real legitimate like music head you know what I mean she's one of those people that knows that has like an encyclopedic knowledge of music 
She also wrote tracks with M.I.A. and Santigold, which I didn't know. And like, I'm smiling. I'm Cheshire Cat smiling because what? Santigold? Also, Sia, before anybody in the U.S. knew who the fuck she was when she was going by her first and last name and not hiding her face, like, over a decade before Chandelier. I mean, in other words, she's basically describing my 2009, like, iPod playlist. This feels very much like MySpace-era music in the best way. This is an article from 2007. I think this is, uh, no, this is after the pregnancy one, but this is also Marie Claire. It's also important to note that it was Halloween during this interview, and if you know anything about Christina Aguilera, you know, we've talked about this before, she loves a decorative holiday, she loves Christmas, and she lives, laughs, loves for Halloween and all of its festivities. It says, Aguilera, whose extravagant rock concert theatrics, a three-ring circus, a 10-piece Roberto Cavalli costume, is planning a party, complete with tarot card readers, punch-brewing witches, and an insane asylum-themed sexy dancer in a cage. Still, it's hard to know where Halloween ends and real life begins. Aguilera and her husband, Jordan Bratman, bought this house in 2007 from Ozzy Osbourne, whose reality show unfolded in its head-spinning gothic interior. All the doorknobs are embossed with crucifixes. The guest bedroom, which is reached via a gold wrought iron gate, boasts a French toilet disguised as a chair. And the centerpiece of the living room is a black lacquer clawfoot pool table topped with shocking pink felt. Into this setting steps the 28-year-old multi-Grammy winning star, one of the most successful recording artists of the past decade, and one of the 20 richest women in the entertainment business. Can we just talk for a second about the irony that Christina ended up in the Osbournes house? I think we talked about that before, but like, what? Like, she ended up in the house that they filmed a show in, where they talked about how much they hated her on the show in that house. It must be so weird. But I would also imagine because of who Christina Aguilera is, they probably watched the Osbournes and watched the episodes that were about her in the house. Like, I just feel like that's something she did over several bottles of wine. If it weren't for her bleach blonde hair, I wouldn't have recognized her, because besides being petite, she is, it seems, shy. She tells me that she's always been intense and introverted, and that as a result, she's felt like an outsider her entire life. Sia, the Australian singer who co-wrote some of the songs on Aguilera's new album, Bionic, out this spring, reports in disbelief that Aguilera, quote, is under the total misguided notion that she isn't cool. She's hyper self-critical. The previous day, Aguilera begins rehearsals for her first film, Burlesque, a musical in which she stars with Cher, a woman she has idolized so much that a mutual friend told Cher that Aguilera wanted to, in quotes, drink her bathwater. The acting experience was, she says, kind of like my first day at school. She's been offered musical roles in the past, but she's waited because, quote, she didn't want to do anything that seemed too easy for her. I've actually had my character rewritten to be tougher and a little bit more spunky, but it's been quite the journey, let me tell you. It's actually kind of like training camp. Last year, she released Keeps Getting Better, a decades collection of hits and recorded Bionic. Now she has a movie to shoot and release and a world tour. And did I mention she has an almost two-year-old son? It's really important to me that I'm the first thing he sees when he wakes up in the morning and the last thing he sees before bed, she says. Motherhood has inspired me to be lighter in my music. I had a really hard time being light before, she explains. I get a little weird about being too cliche. My first record was very cliched pop, what everybody else wanted me to make. While her excellent second album, Stripped, was, she says, inspired by a lot of pain, and her third, Back to Basics, still had some sort of relation to my past, this new album is just about my future, my son, my life, motivating me to want to play and have fun. 
Christina announced on the Ryan Seacrest show that her first single from this album would be a song titled Not Myself Tonight. And she said, I was able to explore and create a fresh, sexy feel using both electronic and organic elements with subject matter ranging from playful to introspective. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm so excited for my fans to hear the new sound. It is something I don't think they will expect. Now, in my honest, humble opinion, as an outsider, a continued outsider, but I'm just peeking through the curtain, I think that this song being released first had a major, major impact on the album's success and was a huge reason for the public's mixed feelings about the entire era. And I think around this time, the thing that started to happen with Christina was that no matter what she released, it was always being compared to Stripped. Because Stripped was sort of determined by the public and by the critics and by her fans to be sort of the peak of her creativity. Even though Back to Basics was, you know, critics loved it and, you know, it was her most critically beloved album, Stripped was still the thing that Christina was the most known for. Plus, Back to Basics was so sort of removed from the whole Stripped thing that even though people still compared them, it just sort of hit different. They compared them in a different way. It was almost easier for people to view Back to Basics as its own completely separate work. And I think because Not Myself Tonight was so overtly sexual and had really heavy BDSM themes and all of that stuff, I think people naturally compared it to the last album she did where she was feeling sexual. I also think when it comes to the release of this song specifically, it was a little bit of them trying to capture something from the past. And the thing that made her two previous albums work so well was that they seemed so removed and out of left field. So I can see how, given what we know now, this would have been perceived as pandering, maybe. But I only say that because of this first single. There's so many songs from this album that could have been released as a first single, and I just don't think Not Myself Tonight paints a good picture for what this album is or what it represents. For the music video, she worked with Hype Williams to pay homage to Madonna's Express Yourself, and there were also human nature references, but she said in an interview later that she didn't know that people were comparing it to human nature, which I thought, I mean, you're in black latex wearing dark lipstick i mean obviously people are going to compare that to human nature you are a female pop star after all and of course this was all taken completely out of context even though i mean the shots are literally identical like there's a moment in this music video where she's literally standing up on the the like platform with the smoke billowing up next to her and she's got the monocle like over her eye and she's very clearly paying homage to Madonna like it's it's exactly the same and people were like she's copying <laughs> like it was a very clear uh 
I don't know. People are just fucking stupid. I hate us 10 years ago. I really do. I hate us 10 years ago. After Not Myself Tonight, she released a song with Nicki Minaj called Woohoo about oral sex that people hated because it was considered too sexual. And like, I mean, after releasing an album where a part of the theme was that her clit was pierced, you would think people would be like broken in or whatever. Like, the idea of her talking about oral sex was just so, like, pearl-clutching. We're now eight years after Stripped, and this is still a topic of conversation. The fact that maybe Christina Aguilera is just too sexual. And, by the way, she's like a fully-fledged adult woman with a fucking child. Like, I just, I can't. And like any problematic album, the fans started to notice some of the, uh, the kinks in, in, in promotion, you know what I mean? That feeling of watching your favorite artists start to sort of fishtail because things are not happening the way that they're supposed to. You can visibly see that, that songs aren't working or themes aren't working or whatever. It, it just isn't, the formula isn't right. There's something about what you're putting out that is not connecting the way that it has before. And that's always such a difficult thing. <laughs> I've been there many times it's so painful it's so painful to watch your favorite artist sort of fishtail especially when you like the album when you like the work they're putting out and you're like why (laughs) why why is this happening to me there was a music video planned for this song but they ended up scrapping it the song barely got played on the radio and it was released as a digital only track in the uk um also by the way like iconic because it's one of Nicki minaj's first like rap features Not Myself Tonight spent three weeks in the top 40, which was unheard of for Christina. And Woohoo peaked at 79 on Billboard. Not good for two songs that are supposed to get people excited for your entire album. And by the way, we will talk about this in a minute. I cannot fucking wait to get to the Perez Hilton portion of this episode because I know that you guys know that Perez is like attached to this album somehow and there's drama from the past involving him trying to cancel her career, but like it goes so much deeper than you could ever imagine. Bionic was released on June 4th of 2010 and we all know what happened. I mean, the album performed terribly. All of her performances from the album were critically panned. She announced a tour and then ended up postponing the tour for the following year and then just not doing it and saying that she she felt like it would not be a good idea to do the tour because she had to do promo for burlesque and she would be overworked but i honestly feel like they were maybe worried about the turnout you know what i mean because it's it's also i feel like as an artist it has to be really scary and like vulnerable to go out and and world tour an album that people have basically told you that they don't they don't want One of the last songs to be released from this album was called You Lost Me. And I actually, I mean, I didn't really know a lot about Bionic before doing this episode. And I listened to the album and we'll get into my thoughts about it. I I like it. Um, But this is now like one of my favorite Christina ballads. It's very toned down. It's very soft. Ironically, she had finally given the public what they've been asking for for 10 years, which is a song where she doesn't belt or over sing or over riff or whatever and she did it and nobody fucking listened to it she also i think the last song from the the album was a song called i hate boys that i'm sure none of you have heard of unless you are a stan um 
it's very like Fergie, like Gwen Stefani, um, sort of like Avril-ish during like the girlfriend era. Okay, now, as mentioned, by the way, you're 22 minutes in and you did the work and I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for that because you could have fast forwarded and you, and you didn't. I hope you didn't, but we're here now. I mentioned earlier that this album suffered from the comparisons it drew to Madonna, but more specifically to Stephanie Germanata, aka Lady Gaga. This started happening a lot after people saw the imagery for the album and the fact that she was doing futuristic pop music during a time when Lady Gaga felt like, I mean, she felt like some sort of like robot pop star from the year 3000. Like, because she wasn't, like I said, because she broke the mold that we had been in for so many years. It was like, oh my God, this girl was dropped here from aliens. Like she, because she had a fucking hair bow in her hair. We couldn't, the disco stick was just too far out of this world for us to comprehend. And it's so funny when you look back at that time for Gaga, it's very, I mean, it's just so like, it's so Charlotte Russe. Do you know what I mean? It's so wet seal. And like, no shade. I mean, she was, I mean, she changed the world and did all the things. You guys know how I feel about Gaga. But it's just so funny that our minds were so blown by her futuristic space age themes. And it's like, well, she's in a leotard with a hood and she is wearing tights from Charlotte Russe. Like, no joke. And these fucking news publications actually had the nerve to question whether or not Christina Aguilera would be able to find a place for herself amongst young pop stars like Lady Gaga as if she's some fucking like Blair Witch like forest hag (laughs) like like she is a 65 year old woman releasing an album of classics or something like she's first of all like five years younger than or older than Gaga so the whole thing it honestly reminds me of this scene in Taylor Swift's uh in Miss Americana um which, by the way, if you haven't listened, Liz and I recorded a Miss Americana episode for her podcast, Liz Explains. You should go listen to it. But she talks about aging out of being a female pop star and how at the beginning, you're this shiny new thing. You're to be coveted. And then you're expected to reinvent yourself every year so people don't get sick of you. But not too much, because If you change too much about yourself, they won't be able to relate to you anymore and they can't recognize you. So just enough. And it's got to be innovative. It's got to be forward thinking. It's got to keep people on their feet. It's got to be controversial, but not too controversial. Like there are all these stipulations to just continuing a career as a female pop star. And you have to keep doing this while also jumping through these like rings of fire that are the media and the press and social media and all the things. And you just keep doing that as many times as you can, as many times as the public will allow you to. And at a certain point, they're just going to stop allowing you to do it. Like Madonna, like we have decided enough. We don't want to see you reinvent yourself anymore. Nobody is interested in anything that you have to say. Your thoughts are no longer important. Thank you for the memories. Thank you for the themes. Thank you for the iconic moments. We're done. We have new girls to look at. We're going to take you and put you in the toy box. But thank you so much for the memories. Thank you so much for the past. You had so many innovative moments. Thank you. Bye. And that has never been more relevant to me than with the release of this album. Now, with that being said, 
we're gonna do this now. We're gonna talk about Christina Gaga and Perez Hilton. Um, which, by the way, this whole thing seems like a weird thing that happened in like a dream. Like I feel like I dreamt this ten years ago, and I didn't know other people knew about it. Like it just feels like some weird fever dream. So on the same day that Christina Aguilera released Bionic, Lady Gaga released a clip for her latest single, Alejandro. And by the time this happened, they were already being compared a lot. Like there were already a ton of comparisons. They were both blonde. They were both pop stars. They were both white. They both had bangs. Like it was, it was all there. This was happening to the point that at the red carpet, I watched the, I somehow stumbled upon the red carpet on YouTube for the new now next awards during this time. And one of the red carpet questions for the celebrities walking the red carpet was Christina or Gaga. Like, what? This all technically starts in 2008. Perez Hilton was invited by the VMAs that year as a VIP guest for the first time. And Christina performed a remix of Genie in a Bottle with this mashup of Keeps Getting Better to promote her Greatest Hits album. So Perez posted a vlog on his website about his experience and how excited he was to get celebrity treatment for the first time. And by the way, all of this information comes from a like bionic, like justice for bionic stan, like WordPress website. So if you're listening, if you found yourself here, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your services in 2013. So in this vlog that Perez Hilton posted, he said, Christina Aguilera was great. Christina was definitely inspired by Lady Gaga. Just dance, Christina. I love that fucking remix of Genie in a Bottle, too. That was like the hottest shit I've ever seen. Did Lady Gaga produce that? Now, to be fair, Christina very much was giving you the 2008 Gaga ooh-ah-ah. Like, it was straight up Gaga. I mean, the song sounded very Gaga. Like, the remix of Genie in a Bottle was very, it was very much old school Gaga. But to say that Christina had completely copied a then unknown artist, in my opinion, is just like, it's insane. And in one of Gaga's first ever televised appearances, she comments on the fact that Christina undeniably looks like her and how flattered she is that Christina would draw inspiration from her because Christina's so badass and she's just an unknown artist, which I mean, I call shade, like I I call shade. Then Perez said in another interview during that time that Gaga and Christina were both doing their best impressions of Madonna. They were both doing Madonna impressions, but it just so happens that one of them is better at pretending to be Madonna than the other, referencing Lady Gaga. So then, of course, Christina was asked by Out Magazine during the press cycle for Bionic how she felt about the constant comparison between she and Lady Gaga or if she felt slighted by Gaga for releasing a clip of her music video the same day as Bionic. And she said, Oh, the newcomer? Aguilera chuckles. I think she's really fun to look at. I mean, I've been around for over a decade, and I think my work speaks for itself. When I was younger, I would have engaged. I would have been a little bit upset about the comparisons. There's a bigger picture out there. I've got my son, my family, and my work. And you know what I love about the new breed of newcomers, she told another station, is that they take risks. They're doing things that aren't so safe. I've always had the guts and passion to do things like that. And I'm happy to see that people have come full circle and are now accepting of it. And these girls have the guts to do it. 
And the press was obviously living for this. Are you kidding? Living. Are you kidding for a soundbite like that? Oh, you mean the fresh new young bloods? The fresh breeds? Oh. She also very famously, and I believe this was the very first time she ever addressed Gaga in a interview. This is the most iconic quote of the whole thing. She said, I'm not quite sure who that person is. To be honest, I don't know if it's a man or a woman. I just wasn't sure. I really don't spend any time on the internet. So I guess I live under a rock a little bit in that respect. (laughs) This got so big that Christina Aguilera wrote an open letter to her fans on her website addressing her feud with Lady Gaga. An open letter. Can we talk? She said, I would like to take a moment to clarify something that was brought to my attention this morning. It is very easy for comments to be taken out of context and create unnecessary drama, especially between women. So I would like to tell you directly so my words cannot be misconstrued to sell someone else's story. I have absolutely nothing against Lady Gaga or any other female artist in the business. I think Lady Gaga is great, and I appreciate any woman fearless enough to go against the norm. She has earned her respect with hard work and a clear focus, and I have nothing but respect for that. There is room for all of us on everyone's iPods. This is not the first time I have been unfairly pitted against another female artist, but it will be the last time I comment on the matter. Can't hold us down. Love, Christina. And I may have mentioned this earlier, or I may not, but either way, I'm repeating it or whatever. This feud is so important because it honestly gave Lady Gaga a career. The thing that really got people talking about her was Perez Hilton's obsessive comparison between her and Christina Aguilera. And I don't know if I'm doing a good job of really explaining how big this actually was for her career, but like it gave her a name. Super, super early into her career, I think like the first year, well, yeah, it would have been the first few months she was famous. Uh, Gaga said it's very flattering she's such a huge star and if anything I should send her flowers because a lot of the people in America didn't know who I was until that whole thing happened and what it showed me was even though I've only been in the commercial market for seven or eight months I've really burned graphic images of my visuals into the irises of my fans now fast forward to a few years later Lady Gaga and Perez Hilton have had this major falling out publicly and she's tweeted for him to stay away from her and her family She's tweeted about how dangerous he is and that he has tried to move into her building. Um, And she said something like, what will it take me being shot in the head for people to realize like that, you know, being stalked is dangerous and et cetera. We've all seen it. And the rumor, of course, as we've talked about before, I talked about this with Russ Martin, was that he tried to intervene with her drug use. And after they stopped being friends, he was very honest, openly about the fact that she has these major addiction issues and that um, her issues with pills and alcohol are a thing that sort of pushes people away from her and pushes her away from people and like stops her from being able to get really close to people because if they say anything or acknowledge it, she never talks to them again. Then out of nowhere, Perez Hilton tweets Christina Aguilera and says, quote, I hope we can talk one day, hashtag love. And of course, this sent Christina's fans into a, a fucking tizzy. I mean, they really literally started like bayhiving him. I don't know if I don't know if um, the fighters have a name for when they internet bully people, but they bayhived him to death almost.
I want to let you guys in on a little secret about me. <laughs> you are talking to the king of sleep issues. For as long as I can remember, I've been the person who lays in bed for hours, staring up at the ceiling, counting how many hours of sleep I can still squeeze out of the night if I just fall asleep within the next six minutes. And all that has changed now that Helix has made its way into my life. Helix has a sleep quiz that takes literally two minutes and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect matches for you. Why waste your money on a mattress made for somebody else when with Helix, you get a mattress that is guaranteed to be perfect for you. Helix also understands that every person is unique, so they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. They have mattresses that are great for cooling you down if you're a hot sleeper and they have Helix Plus, which is a mattress for the plus size folks. I took the Helix Quiz and matched with the Helix Plus mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I personally sleep on my side. You know that meme of Marge Simpson staring at her bed and there's an imprint of Homer's body in the mattress? That's essentially what I was working with before Helix. My mattress was old, sunken in, and unsavory. So if you are in the market for a mattress, go ahead and take the quiz, order the mattress that you're matched to, it comes right to your door, the shipping is free, and you'll never need to go to a mattress store ever again. Helix is awesome, but you don't have to take my word for it, gal. It was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Go to helixsleep.com dunzo, take their two minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life, I promise you. They have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't like it, but you will, let's be honest. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dunzo. Christina's fans demanded that Perez Hilton come clean, be honest about what you did. You know what you did. You know what you did. They gave him the Lauren Conrad and they said, bitch, if you really are looking for forgiveness, you need to come clean publicly for the smear campaign and for derailing this album. He responded publicly and said, I would like to speak to her privately first. I am so sad over all of this. He also tweeted a bunch of other female artists, including Katy Perry, Natalia Kills, uh, Carly, not Carly Rae Jepsen, but K-E-R-L-I, the like MySpace era, if you know, you know, um, who were also ironically all people who drew major comparisons to Lady Gaga in the early stages of her career, and that's important to remember later. He also tweeted a photo of Christina that said, hashtag justice for Bionic, where he apologized for calling her Flop Tina and referring to her as an expired pop star. Many, many years later, la- actually last year, well, 2019, in his memoir, he wrote, I even went as far as to deliberately hurt Christina Aguilera just a few months after she had been kind enough to perform at my birthday party. And why? Because Gaga and I thought Christina was copying her with the sound of her new album, Bionic, and the visuals during that era. I started giving Christina all kinds of terrible nicknames on my website. Looking back now, it's one of the things I'm the most ashamed of, and I can see that Gaga was using me as a tool, not only against Christina, but against her other rivals too. She never explicitly asked me to write nasty things about people, but by moaning to me, she made me feel like I, her best friend, should do something about it. Now, I'm going to say something controversial, (laughs) and it's probably going to sound like I'm talking shit, but really, I'm just 
putting puzzle pieces together for the first time in my life because I've obviously never thought this deeply about Christina Aguilera and I thought I knew how bad this whole thing was. Like I thought just like the surface level of what I knew about it was everything that there was to know. I didn't know that it was like so, as Kelly Ben Simone would say, systematic bullying. Like I didn't know that it went that deep. Now you guys know that I love a blind item and I like to read blind items just as much as I read regular news. I like to compare them and then I like to find the shred of truth that I think lies somewhere in the middle. And as I always say, for me, one of the dead giveaways for a blind item being true is when you see it being recycled in different ways or different versions of the same story for years and years and years and years. Like for 10 years, if you read blind items about Leah Michelle being mean and then it comes out that she's actually this mean cunt, it's like, well, yeah, you know what I mean? Like I believed those blind items to be true because they were repetitive for 10 years. And that's sort of what always ends up happening. Like the whole world finds out this big giant news story. For example, I have been reading blind items about Army Hammer for months. I mean, I guess now it would be years that he's this sexual deviant, that he does a lot of really fucked up weird things to prostitutes, that he has really weird parties, just that he himself is a bad guy. And people have been very vocal about on the internet about the fact that he is a bad person, not a good person, treats women really, really bad. I've read tons of blind items for a long time about him being terrible. So for me, when I find out that he has DMs released of him saying he wants to eat some fucking woman, I'm like, okay, yeah, makes sense. You know what I mean? Now, one of the more reoccurring blind items about Lady Gaga for as far, I feel like I say Gaga's name like Oprah. And I try not to. And sometimes I lean in and just go full Lady Gaga. But like, I think I give you Oprah when I say her name. Anyway, as far back as I can remember, like 2008, 2007, whatever, like MySpace days, when it comes to Gaga, the blind items that I've always read about her is that she low-key used to like sabotaging the careers of her like pop star co-workers. Especially if they were doing something remotely similar to her, if they had similar hair, a similar sound, if they talked about technology, technology or fashion <laughs> or pop culture, if they talked about any of those things and those themes in their in their music, if they came up around the same time on MySpace and had anything similar, I've always read that Gaga was very, very saboteur of the house when it came to other artists especially at the beginning and that she would go out of her way in a very sort of behind the scenes manner to knock them out I actually think the most recent Lady Gaga blind item I read which was maybe a week or so ago was about this and I was like oh my god this again I literally in my head before I even started doing notes for this I was like my god like I feel like I've been reading this article rewritten for 10 fucking years like we get it so it just was very full circle for me to start doing research and do all this digging and find out that this actually went so much deeper than I thought it was, like the whole Christina thing. And you guys know that I love me some Lady Gaga. I love me some Stephanie Germanata. But I do believe this to be true. I mean, I think where there's smoke, there's fire. I, I think when you read the same story for a decade and it just gets recycled and updated with different names in place... Uh, I mean, I think there's something to that. And I think 
when you look back at like the Katy Perry of it all and this stuff with Christina and her friendship with Perez Hilton and, you know, the specific girls that he would go after who maybe ran the risk of interfering with Lady Gaga's music career, like it just all, it, it, there's just too much smoke to be ignored. Also, revisiting Perez Hilton's old tweets, specifically the one where he mentions all those girls that he took part in helping try and derail, it just reaffirms this for me because they all feel very specific to that group of MySpace era girls who were all doing something similar around the same time. Not to say that they were all doing the exact same thing, but it was similar. You would say that they had created their own sort of sub John cat, what? <laughs> sub genre category, whatever you want to call it, of music. You also have to take into account that this is peak toxic blog culture. This is peak tearing female artists apart publicly for fun, pinning random girls against each other to watch them fucking catfight. It was super, super dark and we fed into it and we loved it and we took part in just ripping women apart for no reason. There's a video that I found on YouTube from 2019 of Claude Kelly who was one of the producers on Bionic and he was talking about like, you know, just all of this stuff that took place during that time. And he did specifically say, you know, something I've mentioned many times that Perez Hilton had a ton of power when it came to the music industry, even though he didn't know shit about music. And he would literally choose who to sabotage based on who replied to his tweet, who was nice to him as a, at a party, who like acknowledged him on the red carpet of whatever event. If you didn't, if you, you know, ghosted Prez Hilton or were mean to him or didn't respond to one of his messages, he would derail the promotion of your album. At the time, Perez was super drunk with power. He had all this industry power, and this was the height of his relevance. Another controversial opinion, because I'm on a roll, so why stop now? I really enjoy Christina Aguilera during this time. Like, I never knew until literally this week how much, but I really like her during the release of this album. For one thing, I think she's the most beautiful she's ever been. Not shaming, but like this is before she started tampering with her face and tinkering and filling and plucking and tugging. So she looks like baby Christina, but just grown up into this like beautiful post baby, like glowy woman, like just unbelievably gorgeous. I thought the imagery for this album was super interesting and deserved a much more willing critique I loved her interviews during this time. She's an interview from this era with Fuse TV that is seriously, if you're bored, it's like 10 minutes long, YouTube it. Even just to see how fucking pretty she looks, holy shit, she looks so good. And, you know, as someone who spent the last month watching Christina interviews, there is a real genuine, like, comfort and, like, mellow, just mellowed out vibe to her after giving birth. Like, it, she's just different. And one of the other interesting facts that Claude brought up that I didn't think about either, I mean, I did, but I didn't, was really the magnitude of the collaborations on this album and, like, what they could have meant for people. I mean, the fact that she worked with Sia when she was still going by Sia, whatever her last name is, and nobody, she had no bangs and wasn't wearing multicolored wigs and nobody knew who she was, uh, is wild. 
Um, the fact that she was working with Centigold and MIA, I will never get over. I'm sorry, the whole thing just shows very clear signs of iconic behavior. I'm, I'm, it's just, I, I'm blown away by how much I love this album. Like, however many years later, I'm just discovering it, and I love it. It will sit in my flop album Hall of Fame with American Life <laughs> and Art Pop and Glitter, and I will happily add it to the flop playlist. And as I mentioned before, Bionic is one of those albums that has gone on to become, you know, I mean, it's, there are think pieces written about it. And I think Christina's fans try and bring attention to it because they know the general public judged it so harshly, simply based on Perez Hilton being inside Lady Gaga's fucking anal cavity during the time. I actually read, um, this Gay Times UK article, and I want to read some of the quotes from it because they're really good. It says, when Christina Aguilera argued that her fourth studio album, Bionic, a comeback of sorts, was too ahead of its time for people to truly understand, most pop music fans dismissed her comments as arrogance. But now, a decade later, the album stands firm as a cult favorite amongst fans, in particular the LGBTQ plus community, and has become part of Christina's true legacy. Much like Britney Spears' controversy-courting album Blackout, which was panned at the time, but is now lauded as one of the pop star's finest moments, Bionic saw Legend X dive into a darker sound space, swirling in gaudy scents, sexual innuendo, and rumbling bass so dirty you'd give a priest a heart attack, and if that didn't, we're sure the latex-drenched Not Myself Tonight music video would. It was a total 180 from the jazz and soul influences found on her previous release, Back to Basics and should have marked a triumphant new era in the reign of pop music icon, but it didn't. Sure, it shot straight to number one in the UK, with an almost equally impressive top five debut in the US, but its success was very short-lived and the reception from both critics and longtime fans was mixed. While there are plenty of theories as to why the album didn't get the love it deserved, copycat accusations and rumors of sabotage are common, we'd rather focus on what the album got right, because there really is so much to love about this record. The lead single, Not Myself Tonight, was an empowering feminism anthem that blended a new electropop sound with the attitude of her stripped era, boldly telling listeners, the old me's gone and if you don't like it, fuck you. The music video, meanwhile, paid tribute to Madonna, the OG female pop icon who paved the way before her with human nature and express yourself, and saw Christina wear futuristic latex looks and fetish wear. Unfortunately, the message was lost on critics, with many, like the then-relevant Perez Hilton, dragging her down rather than lifting her up. Follow-up single, You Lost Me, was a gorgeous, heartbreaking ballad about unfaithfulness that showed a softer side to Christina's legendary voice. And to this day, it sits proudly as one of the best songs of her entire career, despite not receiving love from the public or the press. And then the era came to an abrupt end. In an attempt to fulfill her goal of making a more experimental record than the ones that came before, Christina collaborated with a number of critical, critically acclaimed artists like M.I.A., Lady Tron, and Santa Gold. With no doubt contributed, which no doubt contributed to the album's electronic sound and also worked with several up-and-coming stars before they became household names. On the electro R&B cunnilingus-themed Woohoo, she became one of the first pop stars to bag a verse with Nicki Minaj, which also happens to be one of her best, and co-wrote a number of soaring ballads including You Lost Me with Sia, years before she became the go-to hitmaker for the likes of Kylie Minogue, Katy Perry, and Rihanna, and eventually found mainstream success on her own. This album is also dripping in self-awareness with tracks like Vanity, really leaning into her diva reputation, which was arguably at its peak during the bionic era. 
Kicking off the declaration, I'm not cocky, I just love myself, bitch. The track is the track is four and a half minutes of self-adoration pushed to the extreme and is an expert lesson in camp as she boasts, hit me up, Prince Charming, tell me to get tell him to give me a call. Never mind, screw him, because I found somebody better, I make myself so much wetter, and calls out to her queens who reign supreme. It's no wonder her gay fans hold the album to such a high regard. Sitting alongside Vanity as a queer favorite is Glam, a throwback to Madonna's Vogue that comes accompanied by a spoken word intro about living, loving, and breathing fashion. They go on to say that during her residency, she played some of those songs, and obviously it sent the crowd into a, a, a mania because albums like this are what truly separates your fans from your stands. These are the albums. It would be just like if Mariah Carey went up on stage and performed a bunch of deep cuts from Glitter. People would weep. Or if Madonna got up on stage with her guitar and just started playing a bunch of songs from American Life, like people would lose their minds. In my mind, every truly iconic female pop artist has an album like this. It only adds to the narrative where like 10 years later, it's a masterpiece like that whole gig. I want to end this week's episode by talking about an iconic, campy, cult classic, After My Heart, Burlesque. Now, as you may or may not know, Robin Anton's brother, Stephen Anton, directed this movie. Robin Anton, of course, is the creator of the Pussycat Dolls, iconic brothel owner, <laughs> iconic madam, who Christina performed, uh, she performed the, P the Pussycat Dolls in 2002, and you may know the Antons because of Jonathan Anton, who had a show on Bravo a million years ago called Blowout that was very iconic. In my opinion, the best era of Bravo. Blowout, Workout, My Life on the D-List, uh, Jeff Lewis. Like, it was just really, really great programming. Hey, Paula. I don't know if that was the exact same time, but it feels like it. Stephen Anton actually directed some, like, Pussycat Dolls performances from when they were still just, like, a burlesque troupe or whatever. Um, and I read that Cher accepted this role because she figured it would be her last opportunity to sing in a film before she aged out of being thought about at all to be cast in a movie like this. I also read that Diablo Cody did the the uh, revisions of this script uncredited. Diablo Cody helped write this movie. Burlesque made a shit ton of money, but it was also the most expensive film Screen Gems had ever made above Resident Evil, which is insane. So when it went from being number three at the box office to a week later, not even being in any sort of like top running, um, I mean, it was obviously considered a flop. And, you know, Burlesque is one of those movies that I think even during its release, people had an awareness of its campiness. And I don't know if anybody would have been able to predict the longevity of this movie. I mean, it lives in that sort of like showgirls universe where it's like, it's got this timeless, this timeless sensibility to it. And people reference burlesque all the time. That's why Netflix puts it on. I mean, it's, it's iconic. I actually just read that they're like rebooting it for TV. It's been referenced on drag race. Like it's a really cult classic film for the gay community. I will leave you with this quote from Cher from 2013. She said, it could have been a much better film, she admitted. It was always sad that it was not a good film. The reason for its apparent shortcomings, Cher pins the blame on Stephen Anton, calling him a really terrible director. She also believes her character was one-dimensional. In Burlesque, which was a horrible film, I had no love interest. I had no love interest. 
If it had been shorter, it would have at least squeaked by and been a really good popcorn movie, but it couldn't even do that. <laughs> and I'm gonna leave you with that quote. My mouth is drier than the Sahara in the dead of summer. I literally, I feel like I have sand in my mouth, but I love you guys more than words to get. Okay, I have to go. Bye, I love you. Thank you for listening to Dunzo. This podcast is a part of the Solid Listen Network. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Also be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash solidlisten for exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McGee, and you can follow the podcast on all forms of social media at DunzoPod. That's D-U-N-Z-O. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.